Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The Staple Singers with I'll Take You There. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where you get to hear the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul alongside their equivalents in the world of business, those people who are shaping the things to come uh, that affect the world of business all around you. I'm very pleased to say my business shaper today is George McIntosh. He's one of the founders of Test Plant, uh, a fantastic business which makes sure that software works for you, whatever kind of business you're in. But much more exciting than that, he began life on a farm in Scotland and he done all sorts of things in between. You'll be hearing lots from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from George, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some sage words, I hope, of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, I promise you some great music, and there will be. Art Blakey, Dr John, and this from Chick Corea and Bella Fleck. Armando's Rumba with Chick Career on piano and Bella Fleck on the banjo. George McIntosh is my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers, and he is, as I said, one of the founders of Test Plant, an incredibly clever business which makes sure that all the software you're running is working properly, has integrity, doesn't muck things up. George, thank you so much for joining me. I want to know, in layman's terms, what Test Plant does. I've just tried to describe it. I'm sure I did a terrible job. You let me know and tell me how long it's been going for, and then I want to go back into your dim and distant past. Okay, it's a bit of a cliche to say the software makes the world go round, but everything we do from our mobile phone to our television and set-top boxes, all driven by software. Our aeroplanes, our defence systems, and so on and so on and so on. Um, And if you build software, you have to make sure that you test the software. If you don't test it, that shows up as a glitch, as the banks flippantly call major problems. Um, So you don't want glitches, you don't want hitches. Uh, So you have to test it. Uh, We have a unique approach to testing which automates the testing of software ultimately producing better software at lower cost and quicker. That's an important thing. It's been running seven years. How many people work in the business now? About 70 people internationally. It's very much an yeah, international. You're, tell me where you are, because you're all over the world. Sure. Well, despite the accent, I, uh, we're based in London, is the, is the main office. Are you Scottish? I, I, I could never have only noticed. Only slightly. Only slightly. <laughs> uh, based in London, we have development centres in Congleton. For those of you who don't know, that's near Manchester. Uh, and Boulder, Colorado. And we now have sales offices uh, in San Francisco, Philadelphia, uh, Berlin, Shanghai, and Tokyo. Now, it's people. People listening will say, "Well, that's that's fantastic," and I kind of partly understand that. I'm sure your clients are big, I imagine, but they're probably medium sized and they're probably small as well. All sorts, as you said, all sorts <coughs> of industries. You started life. Um, I believe you graduated with a degree in business and economics from the university, the fine University of Edinburgh. You you were brought up on a farm. You ended up your first job being at Ford. In those early days, when you you know you came from a farm background, you went into a formal education. 
Was that an unusual thing to do then? You were one of six children, I believe. Were most people expected to follow in the footsteps of their father? And if they were, how did you end up not doing so? Well, fortunately for my father, there were uh, other children, and and in particular, uh, two other sons who did follow in in the in his footsteps into the farm and still remain farming, uh, I decided that I would go elsewhere. So uh, I made the long trek from Inverness down to Edinburgh to go to university. Uh, and then from Edinburgh, uh, having studied business, um, at that time, the obvious thing was to go and join a big business. So there was a kind of link between farm studying business and then going to work for Ford in the sense that uh, farms have tractors. I ended up building diesel engines on the shop floor of the Dagenham engine plant. You see, and you thought it was a spurious link between <coughs> Scotland and the farms and then Ford and engines and cars and, and, and tractors and the like, but it wasn't. Stay with me for much more from George McIntosh and hear how he has built some phenomenal business, uh, not just with Test Plant, but actually in between as well. Time for some more music. This is the fantastic Mr. Art Blakey with Cubano Chant. Blakey with Cubano Chant. I'm talking to George McIntosh today. He's my business shaper and he's the farmer's son who made it big, started at Ford. And as you said, it wasn't such a massive move, really. It was a, it was a tractor. You felt at home. Um, how long did, was it before that you realised, you know what, I love this big company thing. I love the, the, the sense of scale, the sense of the ability to learn, see how big things happen. How quickly did you say this wasn't for me? Do you remember when you realised... Well, I do very clearly because I, I didn't love the big company thing at all. Uh, but it was it was the obvious thing to do at that time. I mean, fortunately, now we're in a very entrepreneurial nation. Uh, but then I make, I make myself sound very old here. But the obvious thing was to go and join a big company on a graduate training program. But even as I did it, it wasn't for me. You know, my dad was a farmer and that's a sort of entrepreneur, a sort of entrepreneur. Um, so it's as I studied, it was obvious that I was going to do something that would lead to me running my own business. So working for Ford was just part of that corporate apprenticeship, frankly. And, you know, I loved the experience. Uh, but let me tell you, working day and night shift for two years in the Dagenham engine plant was pretty grim. If it was grim and you were tired, how did you manufacture a move? How did you end up becoming, I believe, a partner managing director of a, of a telecommunications business? How did that happen? Was that the next step or were there things in between? Um, there were a couple of things in between. Um, there I was on the shop floor. As I say, it was a bit grim. And uh, I was determined to stick it out for a period of time. So I, I stuck it out. Is that, is that you all over? Are you kind of one of those people that is pretty tenacious? I think so. I, I think it's 
sometimes easy to get into things uh, and, in my opinion, difficult to get out. So I don't get out until I get a result. So I wanted to do two years with Ford, and I did. I trooped up to the head office in Brentwood in Essex and said, give me another job. Now, at that time, in the early 80s, uh, Margaret Thatcher was transforming uh, our industrial landscape, and by which time the factory that I was working in was working on shifts extraordinarily. Um, If I had to come in on night shift, which I had to, um, there might be no men there, but because I was salaried, I still had to come in and manage a production that wasn't happening. It was was crazy. So I said, you know, um, find me another job. And there were no other jobs in Ford. So I then went home and thought, well, what could I do that would be... um, would be a little more interesting in, in the sense it might tie my earnings to my effort or my performance and it might get me into a new technology or something uh, interesting. So, in short, I went from uh, Dagenham to selling modems. Now, in the early 80s, modems were pretty interesting. They were, uh, the you know, rocket science in, in some, some respects. So, um, I, I sold modems, sold telecommunications equipment, working for Motorola, working for cable and wireless uh, for another um, six or seven years, something of that sort. But again, the purpose was an apprenticeship in my mind before I would then go and find a business that I could have some skin in the game. You'll notice that um, George has been building up his chips quite cleverly here before he does indeed take the plunge and move into the wild world of entrepreneurialism and and getting skin in the game. Uh, Latest travel coming up in a couple of minutes. And before that, and before we go back indeed to George for for some more, you're going to hear some words of wisdom, as I promised you earlier, from our programme partners for your business. And those words are from our friends at Mishkon Dereya. Hello, uh, my name is Andrei Yurkiu. I'm a partner in the competition group here at Mishkon Dorea. Uh, what I want to uh, talk to you about uh, today is an issue that very often small businesses forget about. And they think because they are small, then certain rules don't apply. Well, there is a whole body of rules in the UK which have been in place for uh, the last 12 years or so, uh, and they're called competition law. And our friend, the regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, expects all businesses, large and small, to have a basic understanding of the rules. Now, there are some very, very helpful plain English guidelines on the Competition and Markets Authority website, and they tell you the basics of what you need to know. So simple things like you shouldn't agree with one of your competitors what prices you're both going to charge for your product or you shouldn't carve up the market by saying I'm going to uh, service Fred, you've got to service Jack and I won't service Jack so long as you don't service Fred's requirements. Simple things like that. Uh, And one of the classic mistakes we come across time and time again is smaller businesses saying to us but we're only tiny, this can't be a problem. Unfortunately, that doesn't normally uh, hold water with the regulator. So you do need to be alive uh, to the rules and what they mean for you. The downside, if you get caught up in any of these investigations, is uh, you're going to spend your time, instead of running the business and trying to make a profit, uh, you'll be having to spend time talking to a regulator who'll be asking you uncomfortable questions. And if you've really got it wrong, then you might face a penalty of uh, several thousand pounds, which is the last thing you need when you're starting up your business. 
Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers every Saturday morning. I'm privileged enough to meet someone who's shaping the world of business. And throughout 2016, I'll be meeting a whole bunch more, I hope. And there'll be some new innovations coming, more of which in the next few weeks. And probably you'll find them online too. George McIntosh is my business shaper. And he's the one of the founders of Testplant. They um, solve your software issues. In other words, they make sure it works. Because if it doesn't work and you're flying a plane, that's a problem. And if it doesn't work and you're selling uh, food or whatever through a vending machine, I imagine that's a problem too. All those things are taken care of. And we were just, George, back at the time where you were cleverly building your credentials or building your credibility by getting all these, as you call them, apprenticeships. And it is something I encounter a lot with people I talk to. It doesn't just happen straight away. You didn't set your own business up day one with no education and no kind of training on, on, the, on the ground. Just as an aside before we go into what happened next, do you think that some very young entrepreneurs don't realise just how much graft there is before it works? Well... As I said, in my time, it was it was a rush to go and join big business. Now there is very positively a rush to join small business. Um, now, in some ways, that corporate apprenticeship, and I make it sound very manipulative to use big companies as a means to get some experience, but uh, it's good experience. So, uh, you know, it's, it's nice that people want to go and set up things, but um, why not go work for uh, another small company or a medium-sized company or even a big company to get some useful experience. And being an entrepreneur isn't about one big bang, one big idea and one rush to the bank and then off to the beach. Um, in my case, it was very much a, uh, a series of steps. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. It sounds rather spooky. But uh, for me, it was always uh, about a number of steps and indeed a number of different adventures or ventures uh, along the way. So um, it doesn't have to be one big um, success. Uh, indeed, a little bit of failure is never a bad thing. Um, but if you if you want to do it, you will do it. It might take 10 years or 20 years. Now, you said, you know, um, half jokingly, but the other half is serious, that your father also was an entrepreneur of sorts. Farmers are entrepreneurs. They run their own business. They have many variables to manage. Cost is always moving around. Income is always moving around. You're at the mercy of the markets. Just the same things. Do you think um, you always knew you were going to do your own thing at some point? Because you've happened to have taken a more strategic route. Many people I meet don't. They just plunge in. They don't quite end up on the beach straight away. But like you said, they fail. But you're very, very structured. But was it in your DNA to do your own thing and to be your own boss? I think it was. Um, but I didn't properly realise it until I went to university. Um, so um, my mother had some crazy idea that she wanted me to, me to be a professional. And, and uh, I was never that keen on... on uh, on the, the legal uh, world um, but it was at university I had this very clear image I would be running my own thing um, and at, so at that time it was the sort of DNA kicking in with a bit of world experience uh, to benefit More insight coming out from George very shortly. Time for some music though and this is the phenomenal Dr John and it's Right Place Wrong Time Right 
Dr. Job, with the right place, wrong time. Not quite what's been happening with my business shaper, George McIntosh, who managed to do the right place and the right time for all sorts of reasons. So galloping through, because I want to come to the business now and how you approach it and how you've managed to grow. You founded a business called uh, Geoconference. You said you're a serial entrepreneur, and it's true. Backed by private equity, um, 3i, a big one. You sold that business, I believe. Um, in that process, George, of, of doing serious things with other people's money as well as your own, did you th- have to grow up? I mean, you strike me as a very kind of measured guy anyway, but was there a kind of, okay, I need to change the way I'm viewing things here, or do you think that apprenticeship, or rather those apprenticeships, had prepared you adequately for the serious matter of selling a business at the right price? Um they hadn't prepared me. The apprenticeships were were good um, in in preparing me how to sell, how to market, how to manage people, um, but they didn't prepare me for the the full heat of running a business, particularly if you raise money from uh, the not so great but but then great three I. There's a lot of focus and attention. But I absolutely loved it. I mean, I, I thought it it released all sorts of energy in me, and actually, it released ability in me that I didn't know I had. So, like, so, like what? Just give me an example. Well. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I could market. I could be creative. It's it's not it's not easy to be creative. Bless them in cable and wireless uh, or Motorola. You know, a, a large uh, American multinational. So, and and creativity in in uh, small business is important because that's innovation. And whether you shape a service or a product, it's got to be different. And the other thing I did, I suppose which uh, useful working for big companies, of course, I have constantly competed against big companies. You know, I've competed directly with BT. Um, I've competed directly with IBM and directly with HP. So I sort of knowing them helps that process. And then if you add in lots of energy, lots of creativity and the ability to pull good people around you, you can do something, even as a small business, that will outperform IBM. I hope you're taking notes. Take them, bottle them up, and follow them. Fantastic stuff from George. Final chat will be coming up with him, plus we'll be playing a track from Albert King. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. Albert King with Kansas City. Um, George, we are now at the point where, and you've been giving some fantastic pointers in terms of really mixing things up as you become a, a serial entrepreneur, being exposed to lots of different influences. And you very honestly said, and I, and, and I like that, that, well, of course you weren't ready for when you had to sell this company, and but you, you'd learned a whole bunch of stuff um, sort of leading up to it. Your, this business that you're in now, which has done phenomenally well, great growth over the last seven years or so, it's international. You're doing what, what the British government wants you to do, which is export. You're in a technology-led business. I mean, these are massive ticks. What can possibly go wrong? Well, um, software has some fairly, um, or software businesses might have a fairly uh, short shelf life. So we're we're in a very healthy sense. We're very paranoid. You know, we're 
constantly watching the market and what other people are doing, trying to stay ahead of them. Um, so we, we worry about things happening and things changing. Uh, but I think structurally, we're in a good market, as I said about software, it's at the heart of every system or process that we uh, that we're involved in. Um, and our our technology, some of which is patented, so it's, it's, it's genuinely unique, um, is in a good position. But it's a constant, constant, constant uh, consideration of what might go wrong. 85% of our sales are international. Um, so we'd like to see a few more things happen in the UK uh, that might help um, small, medium-sized businesses or medium-sized businesses such as ourselves. Like you're talking about the government, are you in terms of legislation or other things? <clears throat> well, not necessarily. I mean, I, um, the government uh, since 2010 has introduced a sharper focus on where the public sector buys stuff from. And, and I think the results are really quite impressive. They've moved from from SMEs getting 5% of that spend in 2010 to 25%. And, and they've set uh, even further uh, targets going forward. Now, so that's good, and we've, we've had some public sector spend come our way. But the, the UK corporate scene is a bit stubborn uh, and is, is not so empathetic with the small and medium-sized businesses. And I'd, I'd like to see more. Now, it sounds like you have been running this business very sensibly, and yet you've grown, and as you said, you've exported, and, and now you're talking about, obviously, the, the attitude corporately in the UK needs to change. Um, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you have in the past been a semi-professional racing driver, and I don't say that just because, and apparently with a gardening habit, it says here, according to your own website, but very good, the term sure they work very well. Um, the, the reason I mention the racing is that you obviously like to go fast, and you like to kind of take risks. It doesn't strike me you've done that in your own business. I don't mean that in a negative way, I mean that in a positive way. Unless you can you can contradict me and say, no, no, Edith, we've taken loads of risks and that's why we are where we are. If you've been very measured, do you think that's been right for the business? And if you had have driven the car round the bend faster, do you think you'd be in an even stronger position? Well, the racing analogy is interesting uh, because in racing uh, at certain levels, at British and European levels, um, it's not really a sort of fly-by-night operation. So uh, you will test and you'll practice and you'll qualify and then you race. So some of those principles, even though they are quite, the environment is, is very competitive and, and, and actually there's a lot of adrenaline flying around, um, there, is, there is a kind of measure process there and, and I suppose that's the same in business it's it's a measured process incidentally to raise money as, as many people will know is very difficult uh, and that uh, you know forces you to review and review again what you're going to do and ultimately it's a risk uh, if you think about the statistics of failure then you probably wouldn't start so you have to be really convinced you know you have to be really passionate about what you're doing uh, at, even to be lucky or, or successful enough to raise the money to do it. So I think it's measured. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm a risk taker. Um, and if I am, it's probably a back to the DNA, I suppose, mm. uh, the entrepreneurial DNA. Uh, but there's, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've always got investors and colleagues and, and members of staff. So it has to be a sensible uh, route forward. But we are still disrupting the market that we're in, and we're still competing with IBMs and HPs and having a lot of fun doing that, 
and being successful at doing it. And, of course, being recognised for that. I mean, you're one of the, the fastest-growing companies, according to the Sunday Times. You're two times winner of the Queen's Award for Enterprise. I mean, these are fantastic accolades, and they are in themselves not as important as the fact that they reflect, as you said, the success that you've built. So whatever you're doing, you're obviously doing extremely well. That measured measured approach plus the ability, as you said, to be comfortable with risk, I think, is um, is working brilliantly. Thank you so much for being my, my guest today. You've been fantastic. Just before I let you go, you have one last thing to say, George, which is, Tell me what you've chosen as a, as a piece of music and why you've chosen it. Well, as a kid, of course, I liked Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, but Dom vetoed all of it. So I, I have to revert to a, an old favourite, all too favourite for many people, Dave Brubeck's Take 5. And here it is just for you. Thank you so much. Take five from Dave Brubeck, the song choice of my business shaper today, George McIntosh. A very structured approach to the world of entrepreneurialism, someone who really thought about what he was going to do after he left home to go to university to work at Ford, from the big company to the smaller companies, and now doing incredibly well. Very measured, uh, an ex-racing driver, but with that sense of how fast is fast, how much data do you need, and really thinking very hard about the next move, and he's done that really well. And actually underpinning it all, a natural entrepreneur, someone who, as the son of a farmer, really had it in his blood from day one to understand how it would be to make a buck and do it very successfully. All fantastic stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. In the meantime, stay with me, because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams with his Jazz take Shapers on the highlights on Jazz of FM. 2015 here on in Jazz In partnership FM. with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal.